I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, I'm Julie Gould, and this is Working Scientist, the Nature Careers podcast. This is the first episode in a series about the PhD. In 2015, I wrote an article for Nature titled How to Build a Better PhD. The premise was that the PhD training system in the biomedical sciences in the US at the time was, as some put it, broken. There were too many people entering the system hoping to become academics, and yet there weren't enough academic roles for them, and that they weren't being trained for the positions that they were taking. Now, I wanted to reflect on this piece, on the concept of change in the PhD, and to find out what some of the interviewees I spoke to at the time think today. My opening quote in the article was from Paula Stefan, a labour economist from Georgia State University in Atlanta, who said... And I quote, Since 1977, we've been recommending that graduate departments partake in birth control, but no one has been listening. We are definitely producing many more PhDs than there is demand for them in research positions. End quote. So I thought it'd be interesting to find out what Paula thinks today and ask her if she does still think that graduate departments should be partaking in birth control. That's been a belief of mine for years. Because I think that the urge to grow is fueled primarily by the need to have people to work on research projects and labs, and that it's not in response to market signals, but it's in response to current research. In other words, departments are not in this business to train the next generation of researchers. They're doing it to staff their labs. That's always been my perspective and it continues to be my perspective. Now one result of this increase in the number of PhD candidates is that the PhD training system has adapted its purpose from training purely future researchers, whether this is inside or outside of academia, to developing highly skilled individuals who can contribute in a knowledge-based economy and meet the changing skills needs in the workforce. People who can take the skills that they have gained during their PhD training and to apply them to any other career. But Paula thinks that this is the wrong attitude to take. I feel that the goalposts for the PhD got moved when programs and data began to show that people weren't getting tenure-track positions. And I think the PhD is, a research, is training for research, 
And I think it's fine to change the goalpost so it's not just a tenure track position, but I do not think the goalpost should be so widely changed that just about everything fits in the mantra of what a PhD is good for. And I, I have great um, concerns that that's both what NIH and what many, many institutions are doing. Now, what I really applaud is that at least there are a handful of institutions out there that the first year in the program are really educating students about what the career outcomes have been. So if students feel like it's a mismatch for them, they get out. And we need to have more programs that do that. Do you think that graduate schools and universities and institutions should be cutting back the number of people they take on in their in their institutions, in their graduate schools, so that they're only taking in the number of people that will fill the number of roles available within academia, whether tenure track or not tenure track? Absolutely not, because there are a lot of research positions in farms, but and and we want to train researchers who can go to farms. And there's some research positions in government. So it's not just an academe, but we need to be cutting back so we're training researchers and not people who are going into non-research positions. But how do you make that judgment? There are people going into an, uh, you know, into a PhD role wanting to take on the, an academic position or a research position, whether inside academia or not. But towards the end of their PhD they're then completely in a different mindset, completely in different life, you know, sure. lifestyle. I mean, how do you how do you accommodate that? Well, well, look, look, there's always going to be some kind of mismatch. Okay, it's not going to be perfect, but I think in all good conscience, PhD programs now know that they're taking on more people then have a high probability of getting research positions. And I'm not talking about cutting PhD programs by 30% or something. I'm talking about not having them grow. I'm talking about possibly, I'd have to look at the numbers, but scaling back by 5 or 10% or so. But we just can't keep on growing these PhD programs without good outlets. And I think it's important know that industry is doing less and less basic research. So research positions in industry, at least in the U.S., and I believe this is true in Europe, have not been growing. Even if the focus of the PhD was to go back to training people for research positions, do you still think that the metric of publications is a good thing? No. <laughs> okay, because I think if I mean, the big problem is that when we get a metric of publications, it tends to be the only metric. And, that's begin and that begins to be what everybody focuses on. And I think that's very detrimental to the process of science. I mean, it makes people think short term. It makes people try to get things out the door very quickly. It just has very strange incentives built into it. What do you think would be a more appropriate metric, output, whatever you want to call it, by which we could measure well, and assess researchers? Well, I really believe job placement is a very important metric for assessing programs. If you were assessing on placements as an outcome, 
how do you assess what is good and what is bad? Is it good if an institution trains a lot of PhDs to go into research positions, whether in academia or outside academia? And is it bad if institutions are putting a lot of researchers through their training schemes that are not ending up in research positions? I think if you train a lot of people who don't end up in research positions, the PhD, as I've understood it and as we've always discussed it, is to train people in research. So that's how I think it should be assessed. Now, whatever your view of the current PhD system is, it is clear that there are changes to be made and that there are many conversations being had about what those changes should look like. So over the next few episodes, the Nature Careers podcast team will be exploring what the future of the PhD might look like and how PhD researchers can navigate this change. Anne-Marie Corriat, the head of UK and EU research landscape at the Wellcome Trust, believes that PhD researchers should learn to navigate these changes before they even begin their PhD journey. I think people need to be really clear about why they want to go into a PhD and do a bit of research in relation to what they personally want out of it. I think that's very important. In terms of navigating, I think, uh, again, there are some superb resources uh, that are available, um, whether they're on things like findaphd.com or various um, institutions, including our own, you know, journals like yourselves provide all sorts of, you know, summaries about how to navigate the PhD. I think the thing to me that is is uppermost is is look at what you're getting into try and understand that and then network understand people who are or places that you can go that might enable you to get a little bit more information and then when you're in there don't stop asking questions increasingly institutions have put together doctoral training colleges which are massive um massively supportive they didn't exist when I was going through and I think this sort of concept of building network and building network amongst peers um, helping network amongst people who've got similar interests across the sector nationally and internationally is is hugely important and I think the issue also is keeping eyes and mind open to where possibilities might exist Um, academia is hard Um, Of course it is, and making progress in that is never going to be entirely straightforward, but neither is any career in in many ways. And I think the issue is to speak up when you find that problems are or issues are challenging and find ways in which your voice can be heard much more widely. Thank you to Paula Stefan from Georgia State University and to Anne-Marie Corriat from the Wellcome Trust for contributing to this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Gould.